0: You're listening to Uncovering Joel, a podcast series where we look at the themes of the book of Joel and try to unpack them and understand them in a modern context. And this is part of a larger project where we look at different books of the Bible and teach it and get it into your daily routine. So hopefully these are bite-sized, accessible teachings that can encourage you as you study the Word of God for yourself. We've been in Joel chapter 2. We did Joel chapter 1 a few weeks ago, talking about a national disaster that happens to the land of Israel. A plague of locusts comes in and destroys the economy, destroys the land, and sends Israel into a period of lament. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, we see another catastrophic event in which God is going to actually lead a foreign army against his people. As a form of discipline for Israel's idolatry, they are worshiping other gods. And God says that to correct you, I'm going to send an army and uh, destroy your cities so that you get the message that you need to repent. And then there's a call to repentance where God says, but if you'll turn back to me, I may relent from this because I'm full of mercy and grace. And this is not something that God desires to do. He would rather Israel just turn to, as Joel 2 speaks, rend their hearts, not their garments, to actually have heartfelt obedience and faithfulness to God. That's what God is ultimately after. And so this call to return to the Lord is a call to receive God's grace and to return to being His people. Well, in this second section of Joel chapter 2, We're going to see the promise of restoration that God gives, that God is so gracious that judgment is not the end of the story. In fact, we see throughout the prophets this pattern of God's judgment and then repentance and then restoration. And one of the terms we've talked about the past few episodes is this phrase, the day of the Lord which refers to an historic action of God, either in judgment or salvation or both, in which he fulfills his good and gracious plans. And the day of the Lord is both a reference to one specific final act in which God restores creation and destroys Israel's enemies, but it also refers to smaller acts that lead up to that final day. So any type of event, like the exodus uh, or the plagues or uh, the invasion of these armies are many days of the Lord in which God acts to fulfill his good purposes through judgment or through salvation, and oftentimes both. So we're going to see the salvation part, that when the day of the Lord comes and God shows the mercy that he promised after his judgment, there will be a renewal and a resurrection of Israel. This is Joel chapter 2. Verse 18 to the end. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rearguard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The book of Joel reaches a sort of climax where the day of the Lord is expressed in explicit terms. Once again, we see that God's love for Israel, specifically the land plays a central role. God is jealous for the land, the promised land that he gave Israel and for his people. And it is his divine grace and condescension that he sends grain, wine, and oil back to Israel. He answers the plea in verse 17 not to be made a reproach among the nations. Remember, Israel cries out and says, God, if, if we are no longer prosperous, if we are in exile and this continues, the nations are gonna think that you're not really a good and gracious God. And we're going to be a reproach. You promised people are going to be disgraced among the nations. Please don't let that happen. And God, in his grace, promises to reverse their fortunes. He removes the northerner from them. and This is referring to the invading armies. And he returns rain, green fields, and fruitful trees to the land. So God's redemption is physical and earthly. I mean, it would do no good for God to say, I'm going to metaphorically give you rain. Right? That makes no sense. We actually need real rain because this is our economy. This is, we need water. We need wells to be filled. We need uh, our crops to be fed. So when the Israelites thought about God's salvation and help, they're thinking in very earthly terms. And I think we have to remember that God is the God who provides grain and oil and water and crops and all these things. These don't just pop up because of human ingenuity, but we are dependent upon God for every morsel of bread, every piece of food, all the good things that we have in life. And sometimes in our modern world, we lose sight of that because we think we're self-sufficient when in reality, God is, as he has always been, the source of all good things that we have. And we see that God's restoration of what the locusts consumed climaxes with this event. God will pour out his spirit. And there is a key phrase, afterwards. After what? After his judgment. After judgment comes resurrection. After death comes resurrection. God will judge and then he will bring in restoration. This is a powerful image. What does the spirit being poured out on Israel mean? It means that God's presence is with his people once again. You'll notice in the book of Ezekiel, there's a, Prophecy where Ezekiel sees the temple and it's infested with idols and we see the spirit of God actually leave the temple and we don't ever see it come back. And so Joel is prophesying on the day when the spirit of God will be poured out once again on Israel, that Israel will be resurrected and transformed, that its bones will put on flesh and it will obey God. And so, the the Spirit being poured out is about revival. It is about the men and women prophesying, speaking God's words, and and also seeing old and young men have visions and dreams. There's a revitalization of God's community. So, the Spirit being poured out is a great sign of hope, of renewal, of the resurrection of Israel. And Israel's greatest blessing is not their material wealth, though those are blessings. But the greatest blessing thing that that Israel possesses is not a thing at all. It's, it's God himself. God himself is Israel's treasure. Now we see God's great renewal will be an upheaval of the political order. and as we said in the last episode, whenever the prophets describe the dismantling of the political order and the raising up of a new one, they describe it in terms of physical creation phenomena. So he, they use decreation language. Images used in Genesis 1 are now disintegrating. So we see earth, blood, and fire, and a darkened sun, and a bloody moon. These are all the order of the old order of of Israel being replaced by a new order of Israel. The old order was disobedient and idolatrous, and it will be replaced by a new order that is obedient to God. And so this decreation language is meant to evoke in the minds of Joel's hearers That God is about to do a work that's going to fundamentally change the nation by transforming the hearts of its people. Now we see in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel and he says that this falling of the spirit on God's people is happening at Pentecost. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, the spirit of God falls upon Jews in Jerusalem and they begin to speak in different languages. And this is not only a reversal of Babel in which God scattered the nations and confused their languages, but it's also a fulfillment of this new age. It's it's Peter saying, in effect, God's new age in which his spirit is empowering his people and his new age of revival and his new age of, of power coming into this world has started in part here in Jerusalem. Now, it's not a full fulfillment, but we can see again, Peter saying the, the sun is The the sun is darkened and the moon is bloody. And what's he saying? Well, he's saying that, that in the death and resurrection of Christ, this new order has come. Judgment has been poured out on Christ, but resurrection has come in. And in Christ's resurrection, the age of the spirit, the age of God's presence with his people, the age of redemption and salvation has now burst forth into this time period. And so something fundamentally changed at Pentecost that we are the recipients of. And notice that Peter changes a word. Instead of saying afterward the spirit will be poured out, he says in these last days, which signifies that this is the last period of time before the return of Christ. Now, it's not talking about a quantity of time, but a quality of time. That after the spirit of poured out it was poured out, this is the precursor to the final day of the Lord in which Jesus Christ returns. But I want you to focus on this idea that The church has been empowered by the spirit to be a prophetic witness to the world. Jesus Christ is King. He is making all things new. It's not all perfect. Now there's going to be plenty of battles ahead, but God dwells with his people and we are a public force to turn people to repent. And that's why it's so crucial when Joel says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, The doors of salvation are open to all the nations now. And the question is this, do you believe in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you realize that human history has been fundamentally changed? A new order has sprung up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, God's King, whom he has raised by his Spirit. And God will never abandon his people. The presence of the Spirit with his people is the presence of God with his people. And if we have that on our side, what do we have to fear? This should give us much encouragement as we go about our daily lives. That we have access to power. That we are living in an age in which God promises to do great things. Not perfect things. He's not going to fulfill all of His promises till Christ comes back. But we should be on the lookout for ways in which the Spirit works in our lives, works in our churches, to bring about renewal in the places we are located.